You know, the truth is that being a parent of three young kids, that I often find myself saying this phrase, and I think it's a common phrase, so I want to see if you can help me finish this, is that when you're surrounded by chaos, maybe you, you, you call up a friend or you turn to your spouse and say, I just really could use some peace and quiet, right? It's amazing how being alone and quietness is a punishment for a child, but is joy for an adult, right? But we often say that, don't we? We say, oh, I just need some peace and quiet. Now, the trouble is, is that when we connect those two words, the reality is that oftentimes our life is anything but quiet. And so because our life is not quiet, we don't think we can have peace because we think they're connected. So the question is, how is it that you can have peace when you're surrounded by noise? How is it that you can have peace when you're surrounded or in the middle of a storm? When you feel like your mind is racing a million miles a second and you're facing a difficult relationship or a difficult circumstance or you're just struggling with a particular issue and you say, I can't have peace in the middle of this. I believe that the Bible, God's word, actually tells us that we can. You see, we're in week two of our series, What on Earth Am I Here For? And we're trying to tackle really one of life's greatest questions, and that is, what is my purpose? Why are we here? And so last week we talked about how discovering your purpose is not about meeting the expectations of others, but actually experiencing Jesus. It's not just so much what you do, but who you become and who you connect with. And that through experiencing Jesus and experiencing a relationship with God, that he gives us five purposes that we're gonna spend the next five weeks walking through. We talk through the idea of, uh, really this idea of worship and fellowship and discipleship and ministry and evangelism and these ideas that connect us with God. And then when we connect with God, we connect with each other. And so I want to address that first topic this morning, and that is that we have been created to worship. And so this morning's message is entitled Unshakable. Unshakable. Because the question is not, are you worshiping? But who or what are you worshiping? See, coming out of a mother's womb into this world, we're already screaming, we're already yelling. And then we long for affection. And if we don't get that affection with that parent right away, we will search for it continually. And we're not just only created to worship, we're created worshiping, meaning we will naturally place our affections and our heart and our actions towards something or someone. So the question is not are you worshiping, but whom or what are you worshiping? I love football season. And in a sense, when you, when you look at how crazy people go for football, that in and of itself is seen as a worship service, right? Think about it. People gather by the thousands, say the same things, cheer for the same team. And if it's not sports, okay, fill in something else. We all have our thing or a person that we worship. And if you can't identify who it is that you place your affections on, 
my guess is that it's probably yourself, right? That's what our world teaches, to chase my happiness and my pleasure, and it's how I'm feeling. You can't judge me. You can't tell me what to do. It's, it's what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. But true purpose, true joy, true love comes when we worship God and not ourselves. That peace can come even in the middle of the storm. It says in Luke 19.10 that if we don't cry out, it says that the rocks themselves will cry out to God. And the writer in Psalms, in Psalm 66.4, says that in fact all creation worships God. So the sunsets, the mountains, the valleys, the oceans, all of creation as we know it worships and points to the glory and the power of who God is and what he's done. And so what is worship? Paul writes in Romans 12, 1 and 2, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This means that presenting your body as a living sacrifice, in other words, your daily choices, your attitudes, your actions, what you say, how you treat people, everything that you are can be an act of worship. I met Isaac, our worship leader, actually at Scioto Hills Christian Camp in Southern Ohio. And every, every time before a meal, they would gather us before the doors. They were always so mean because they wouldn't let you in to get food. And they would block the doors and get this mob mentality. But before, before every meal at this Christian camp, okay, before we were even in middle school, you remember this verse? 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat, drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Is that everything you do is centered on worshiping who God is and speaks to who God is. Then the writer of Hebrews says this, our main passage, if you have your Bible, open up to Hebrews. It's kind of towards the back side of the Bible, towards the end. In Hebrews chapter 12, to give a little bit of background on this, is that Hebrews chapter 11 is described as the hall of faith. And so it talks about all these characters in the scripture, in the Bible, who did all these incredible things by faith. And in the beginning of chapter 12, it says, therefore, in view of all these witnesses, in light of what everyone else has done, let us run the race. Let us put aside the hindrances of sin and let us fix our eyes on Jesus. And then it describes Jesus who considered it pure joy to lay down his life for you and for me. And in the middle of chapter 12, it says that therefore, since God has laid down his life for us, we should not be surprised when God disciplines his sons and his daughters, but see that as an act of love so that we can pursue peace and, and, and maturity and grow up as worshipers of him. And then at the end, he ends this chapter where we're picking up the story, talking about uh, really what happened in years and years and years ago where Moses on Mount Sinai had an interaction with Jesus, or really pre-incarnate Jesus and, and God, and God gives him the 10 commandments. And when he does that, the earth shakes. And so let's pick it up here in verse 26. And at the time, his voice shook the earth. 
And that's referring to Exodus chapter 19 is what he's pointing back to. But now he has promised, yet once more, I will not shake, or I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. What he's saying here is that there was a time when God shook the earth and he spoke to Moses. But there is a time that is greater, that is yet to come, that Jesus will return. And he was quoting the prophet Hosea in in chapter two, verse six. He's quoting this prophecy that Jesus will return and not only shake the earth, but shake the heavens and the earth and all will be stripped away except those that remain with him. He says, therefore, let us be grateful and let us worship for our kingdom. God's kingdom is unshakable. Eugene Peterson wrote a version of the Bible known as the message. Now, I would not necessarily recommend the message for deep Bible study because it was not written for that purpose. It was actually a paraphrase of scripture so that the Bible could be understood in modern day language. So you can see it as a support to scripture. It's like, if you don't understand what something is, is being said, sometimes you can turn to a translation like the message and understand the paraphrase or commentary of what this passage means. And so in the message version, it actually says this. The phrase, one last shaking, means that a thorough house cleaning, getting rid of all the historical and religious junk so that the unshakable essentials stand clear and uncluttered. Do you not see what we have? An unshakable kingdom. And do you see how thankful we must be? Not only thankful, but brimming with worship, deeply reverent for God. I love that phrase, that this idea of shaking is that it removes the historical and religious and political, okay, I added that word, junk that's in our world today. That things will be removed and what is solid, what is firm, what cannot be shaken is the kingdom of God. But what's interesting is that in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter six, what's commonly said? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? That's our prayer. When we pray, we're asking for the kingdom of God to come down. And so when we have this moment, we understand that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And that when you stand on faith in Jesus, it doesn't matter the noise that surrounds you. It doesn't matter everything that is around you. But the truth is, is that peace is possible when you worship an unshakable God. Peace is possible when you worship an unshakable God. One of my joys as being a parent is to introduce my kiddos to the same games that I played as a kid growing up. And so I had fun playing with friends, uh, Mario Party. They had different versions of Mario Party and all these different mini games and challenges that you would take on. And there's this one game where there are platforms 
And these platforms would all be standing, everyone's on the same level. And then one of the characters would hold up a flag and that flag would show what color would remain. And then you had to race to that colored platform and all the rest would just disappear. And so I would play this game with my kids and it was a lot of fun, except they didn't realize, they didn't notice the guy with the flag telling them what color to run to. And so every time we'd play this game, they'd be standing there and they'd just drop. They're like, dad, how do you keep guessing correctly? I said, I'm really good, son, really good. <laughs> and so three weeks after defeating him every single day, I finally told him the secret. And, uh, okay, I didn't do that. But, um, and so <laughs> I'm competitive, okay? I want them to learn. Life's not fair, and neither is their father. And so <laughs> you don't have to glare at me, okay? I'm not a bad father. I'm just a victorious one. That's what I like to say. <laughs> and so I finally shared with him, no, if you pay attention to the flag, it'll show you what color to stand on. And so they don't have to play a guessing game. They know ahead of time which floor it's going to stand. And the reality is, in the same way as Christians, we know in our hearts what will stand, what will remain. That everything of this world, all circumstances and, and money and popularity, everything's going to fade away. Except for the unshakable kingdom that is Jesus. And that our only response to that is to worship. Peace is possible when you worship an unshakable God. Nothing can take you out of his hand. Dear Heavenly Father, God, as we hear from Isaac, who's going to share his story through word and through song, may we just remember that your word is unshakable. That when we stand on our faith, on our relationship with you, we truly can have peace. God, may we just respond to you in nothing else but worship. We love you, God. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.